Scooby-Doo, where are you? Well, I'm on a podcast. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Scooby-Doo, where are you? And it would have been mine if it hadn't been to those meddling kids. Gang, we've just been handed our next mystery. Blasted meddling kids. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for the 30th episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo. Today's interview is another one that took place a little while ago, and I'm very excited for you to finally hear it. I had the chance to chat with Scott Innes, who voiced none other than Scooby-Doo on Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy in Witch's Ghost, Alien Invaders, and Cyber Chase, and he was the voice of Scrappy-Doo in the 2002 live-action movie. Scott has also lent his voice to numerous video games, TV commercials, and toys. Let's get into the interview. Just to start off, if you're up for it, I like to start with three questions of Scooby-Doo trivia. Oh, I thought we were doing a SpongeBob interview. No, I'm no joking. Yeah, go right ahead. For question one, what is the name of the island that the gang visits in Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island? Boonscar Island. Correct. And question two, in Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders... What are the names of the girls that Shaggy and Scooby have crushes on? Wow, man, you know it's the Hex Girls, because I'm a Hex Girl, and I'm gonna put a spell on you, gonna da-da, a spell on you. In Alien Invaders? Mm-hmm. Crystal is who he's in love with, and Crystal, yeah. And for the last question for the trivia, in Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase, the movie portion, not the video game, uh, can you name two of the classic villains that appear in the final level? Well, in the final level, you've got uh, the Creeper, which I did the voice of the Creeper. And I want to say the Tar Monster was in that. That is correct. Oh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> To start off the general questions here, what's your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching? I've been a Scooby fan. I was born in 66. Uh, Scooby-Doo started in 1969. And uh, I was watching Scooby-Doo. I remember vaguely uh, CBS teasing a brand new show was called Scooby-Doo. When I, I was about three years old. But I, I started watching Scooby Man from the very beginning, and uh, I'll never forget. It was like about 1972, 72, 73. The first product my grandmother bought me a metal lunchbox, which I still have, and um, and from then on, it was it was on. I mean, I I just have been so to go from that aspect of my life to becoming a total Saturday morning cartoon nut. To meeting Bill Hanna, 
uh, Joe Barbera and all of them when we recorded Zombie Island, the first movie, was a dream come due for me. That's for for sure. And being a lifelong Scooby-Doo fan, do you have a favorite personal memory related to Scooby-Doo, other than obviously being able to voice the characters? Well, every time, you know, I I had in link, Don Messick, who was the original voice of Scooby-Doo, was a really good friend of mine, and uh, we would talk, uh, you know, I'm a radio personality, so every place that I would go to do radio, Don would be my inaugural interview, and we would go back and forth, and he just a sweetheart of a man. And, you know, Don didn't only do Scooby, but, you know, heck, he did Boo Boo Bear. So because I could do, you know, Scooby, uh, I was naturally able to do a lot of the Don Messick characters that he did, you know, through the years. Hey, Mr. Flintstone, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, Yogi, there's Mr. Ranger and, you know. So we we were really good friends. But one of my favorite, really, that came to life for me, a, a couple of them. Uh, when I went out to do Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, we were the last official recording at the old Hanna-Barbera Studios on Coanga Boulevard, okay? Uh, they were moving everything over to the new Cartoon Network Studios. We were the last official recording that was going to be in that building. So you had boxes that lined the hallways. The hall lo- the hallways were dim lit, looked like something out of a Scooby-Doo episode. It was really kind of scary. And so at lunch, while everybody else was eating lunch, I took off walking down the halls and came across, you know, I mean, it looked like an old, old hospital ward. You know what I mean? In the hall and you're going down. And because let's face it, you know, Hanna-Barbera Studios had been around since the 50s and that building looked like, I mean, it, it was it was an old building. So I came across a light at the end of the tunnel, as I like to say, and I went in and I saw a man sitting at his desk. I didn't know who he was at the time. There wasn't even a sign on the door. And he was looking down and he looked up. And if I could do that in slow motion, it was like the holy grail of all cartoon creators. It was Joe Barbera. And he looked up at me and he says, you're the new Scooby-Doo. And uh, I said, I am uh, Mr. Barbera. And he said, first of all, call me Joe. He said, have a seat. So I sat down and I mean, the whole office was full of, well, kind of like this one. I mean, it was just everything was Scooby-Doo and Hanna-Barbera and whatnot. And we talked brief. You know, he was like, look, I heard your audition. Uh, Don Messick would be would be really proud. Uh, I think you're going to do it justice. And and then I found myself, you know, I mean, I was in awe. I mean, I, people ask me if I've ever been starstruck. And really, I'm not because I'm in radio. I meet a lot of stars all the time and in my career. And it never really has really has been, I've never been a starstruck kind of guy. Although I do Google a little bit when I'm around Reba McIntyre. But other than that, <laughs> she's a good friend of mine too. But uh, so there I am with, with Joe Barbera. And, and yeah, I was a little starstruck because that's the, uh, there's my hero. That's That was my goal in life was to make it to Hanna-Barbera. Not only am I sitting in the office with Joe Barbera, but I'm also in a the last recording at Coenga Boulevard in the Hanna-Barbera Studios with the greats Frank Welker, Freddie, you know, uh, the the legendary uh, voice of Freddie and so many others. I'm sitting next to Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, Adrian Barbeau, B.J. Ward, uh, Mary Kay Bergman. We're all there. And I'm sitting at this roundtable. We did a roundtable reading the day before we started. 
and I'm sitting at this big orange table in this big conference room, and I'm sitting at the spot that says Scooby-Doo. And it was just, it just really was surreal. You know, it was really a dream come true for me. Oh, wow. That is, that's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty wild. You know, I had to, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There were a lot of times that I'd like close my eyes and just have to pinch myself and go, okay, I know when I open my eyes, this is, I'm going to wake up. This is not really happening, you know? So yeah, pretty cool. Definitely. And what is the story behind you hearing about the audition for Scooby-Doo and getting the role? Well, how that went down is, you know, like I said, I'm a radio personality and I was on a station at the time. It was a country radio station. It was called WYNK. And I had just got there. Uh, it was like 97, early 97. And uh, I did a little parody song on my show called uh, the, the Group Alabama. Country Group Alabama had a hit at the time called uh, Shaggin' on the Boulevard. And I thought it'd be funny to rewrite it and call it We'll Be Dancing Shaggy on the Boulevard, like Shaggy on the Boulevard. And I did a little parody of it, and I started playing it. And the phone lines would get requests for it. And I didn't want to borrow trouble. I'm thinking, you know what? One guy kept calling me saying, you should call Hanna-Barbera and play this for him. I'm like, yeah, I should, but then they're going to tell me to quit playing it and blah, 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 blah. Well, it ran its course. I had it out for about a month, and guy kept calling me. Dude, I mean, I, I called it. It was like maybe it was a godsend, you know, but he said, you got to call Hanna-Barbera and let them know you do, you know, you play them this song. So I thought one day I went, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I called Hanna-Barbera, and they transferred me to Bodie Chandler, who was the music director at the time. And Bodie gets on. He says, so what do you got? I said, well, uh, I told him who I was, about the song. He said, well, let me hear a little bit of it. So I held the phone up. This is long before all the cell phone, you know, got hot. So I, I'm holding the, the phone up to the ear, and I come back, and he says, do they know you do those voices that good here? And I said, uh, not really. I mean, I, I just wanted to call. And he says, I'm going to have a, a Colette Sunderman call you back. And, uh, you know, he says, uh, so – stick around. I'm going to have her call you back. And so uh, I did. And she called and she's just was to the point. All right, let me hear it. I played it for her. And she says, there was like this long pause. And um, all of a sudden there was like uh, nothing. And she goes, okay, so I'm going to call you back on Tuesday and uh, I'm going to put you through an audition. Is that, and I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah. And so little did I know I got, immediately into the mix of about 20 other people auditioning for Scooby. And I'm like going, okay, but you got Don Messick. She goes, well, Don tragically has, is, is ill and has retired. So that's why we're casting a new Scooby-Doo. We're going to do a movie called Zombie Island. And so, um, yeah, here I am auditioning for Scooby-Doo. So I hung up the phone and I'm just kind of like, wow, that's weird. So over a course of about three weeks, they kept putting me through these different auditions. And um, Bill Hanna, from what I understand, not Bill Hanna, Joe Barbera. Joe Barbera walked in, was walking down the halls, and Colette Sunderman was talking to Chris Zimmerman, who was another casting. They were both sitting in there, and they were going back and forth at who they thought. Chris had somebody in mind. Colette had me in mind. And all of a sudden, so Joe Barbera's walking by the hall, and they said, Mr. Barbera. We're going to play you a clip and you tell us what you think. So they played him a clip of the other person. They played him a clip of me and my laugh. And Joe says, well, 
that's Don Messick to a T right there. That's the laugh and everything. So they're like, well, all right, I'll call Scott, you know? So that was kind of cool, you know, but that's how it happened. And the next thing I know, they're like, all right, pack your bags. You're, you're coming to LA. And there I was on the way to cartoon history, you know? And what was your initial reaction when you got that call? Well, again, you got a, a kid that grew up with this stuff. So again, that's a, I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, did, okay, did this just happen? You know, is this really happening to me? I mean, am I, I'm, I'm actually going to provide the voice of one of my favorite and one of the, the biggest iconic cartoon characters of all time. So yeah, to go out and do that was pretty cool. And, um, very just, I, I mean, I mean, it seems just like yesterday and it was almost 25 years ago, you know, it's, it's been a great deal for me. You know, I'm very, yeah, I collect not only I'd already been collecting Scooby-Doo stuff, you know, um, then I started voicing all the toys and it just went crazy, man. It just, it spun out of control. It was just, and, and see, when we did that movie in 97, the last movie they had done of Scooby was about seven years prior. So at about in like 1990, they did, I think, Scooby-Doo and Arabian Nights or something like that, I want to say. And so Scooby had been on like a seven-year lull. There was nothing. So we were kind of like that. And then they came back, and as you know, this time, the monsters are real. So they gave it kind of a whole different deal, and uh, which I liked. I really did. I thought it was kind of cool to put a different spin. Some people didn't take it well, you know, they, that they, they veered off the, the platform but uh, I did. I thought it was it was cool to come back with a different spin after all these years. You're coming back. Let's give us and you're coming to Moonscar Island, Louisiana, which is, of course, you know, right here is where I uh, where I live, you know. So anyway, um, that's kind of uh, that's kind of was kind of cool to be right here uh, in my own state. And that's where the movie takes place, you know. So it kept getting you know weirder. Like I said, you know, I'm sitting here. OK, wait a minute. I just. You know, I just got the part of Scooby. I'm flying to L.A. I'm doing this movie. And of all places, it takes place in the place where I, I live. I mean, this is, I'm like, can this just get any weirder? So pretty cool. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, working for Hanna-Barbera had been a dream of yours. But was did you ever imagine that you would end up voicing Scooby-Doo of all characters? Well, I'll be honest with you. I never thought I'd end up voicing any character you know, much less a Hanna-Barbera character. Um, at that time, I, my, my only brush with Hanna-Barbera and I still have, I still have the letter. Uh, it's in my book, but in 1988, I wrote a song called, I wish I was a Flintstone. And, uh, I sent it to Hanna-Barbera and Hanna-Barbera, um, sent it, uh, sent, sent me a letter back, said they love the song and they want to record it. Uh, that their music department would be in touch. And I'm like, okay, wow. So for about a week, I was on cloud nine then. That was in that was in 88. I was working at a small radio station, KLID, a little AM station in Missouri, my hometown. And so, you know, I thought, wow, they're going to record one of my songs. And then about a week later, they decided, yeah, we're not going to. I said, well, that's Hollywood, you know. So that was my first my first brush with with Hanna Barbera. But after that, you know, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a radio personality. It's what I do. And, um, yeah, but yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, it was weird. It was, it was, it was very, uh, you know, when you get that part and you're, you're realizing that things are starting to come together in your life and, and, you know, and, and cause I've always done voices ever since I was a kid. I mean, I was recreating the daily scenes that I saw in Scooby-Doo. Where are you? When I was a kid, when I was going to sleep at night, I was literally recreating the shows and talking to myself in character, like, come on, Scott, we got to go to sleep. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> you know, so here I am now getting ready to fly off to, to voice an iconic character, Scooby-Doo. You know, on Zombie Island, you just voiced Scooby. How did you come to voice Shaggy as well in the next one? What's kind of funny is, is uh, you know, in my radio career, I ran American Top 40 on my show all the time with Casey Kasem. And I'd interviewed Casey a few times and everything. And I knew Casey, uh, well, first of all, I was doing, whenever I would do my Scooby, I would always talk back and forth with Shaggy. And it was always close, but it was never dead on. And I was like, my dad, uh, I call him Cowboy Ralph. He was like, well, that Shaggy sounds close. You keep working on that and you'll have that one down. And uh, then it dawned on me, you know, that, wait a minute. I said, Casey Kaysen does the voice of Shaggy. I said, maybe I'm I'm going at it wrong. Maybe maybe if I just do Casey Kasem's voice, just like if it were him, and then kick it up a little higher and like he would not get Shaggy. Yeah, oh boy, it's Shaggy. <laughs> What's up, Scoob? <laughs> Zoinks. So that's how I perfected that. So when they were casting for Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, I'll never forget, I had, after Zombie Island came out, I was dealing with Cartoon Network on a bunch of promos for the movie, right? And I was in doing some Scooby stuff, and one of the directors kept hearing my Shaggy in the background. He goes, who's doing the Shaggy? I said, that's me. He goes, good God, that's dead on. That sounds just like Casey Kasem. They were bringing everybody into the room. Do, Do it again. Do it again. So they had just recorded up a bunch of stuff uh, with Billy West, who who had done Shaggy in the movie, you know, for, for, for promos for Cartoon Network. So they asked me, they're like, would you be interested in redoing these for us? And I was like, well, don't you have been? They're like, look, we just would rather it sound just like Shaggy, you know? So I was like, well, I mean, sure. I mean, I'll do it. So I redid all that. And uh didn't say anything about it. It just, it ran. And about a month later, I get a call. Colette Sunderman calls me again. She says, hey, we're doing Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. So, and I said, well, I've been doing, you know, Shaggy for Cartoon Network. And she's like, you have? And I said, yes. Yeah. She says, can you send me that stuff like pronto? So I sent it out there. And Davis Doy, great guy, director, writer, old, old Hanna-Barbera. Colette brings him in and plays him. My doesn't even tell him who it is. Just says, "Listen to this," and he, she plays it to him, and he goes, "Well, that's Casey Kasem, right?" And she goes, "No, that's Scott." And Davis Doy says, "Well, I guess Scott will be voicing two characters this time." So that's how I got into doing both of the characters. And what is it like to be able to, you know, go back and forth between both characters in a recording session? Well, it's crazy, but I, I do, you know, it's funny because normally we read lines and everything, but there was one scene where they're fighting for a uh, a Scooby snack 
And I just told Colette, I said, well, you want me just to read the script? I mean, I can fight back and forth. And she's like, all right, smarty pants, let me see what you got. So it was like, um, uh, let's see. It's mine. Let's see. Look, a Scooby snack. It's mine. 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 <laughs> Guess I beat you, Scoob. <laughs> you know. So sometimes, you know, there's little things you do when you're filming a movie and that you notice might be funnier. And that's what I loved about Davis Doy. He he was never um he was never against making the script better, and it didn't matter who who came up with the idea. There's a if you'll remember on Witch's Ghost at the very beginning. They solve the mystery in the uh, museum and they go to give each other a high five. And on the script, Shaggy says, give me five. So I'm sitting there and I'm pondering on it. And they're like, what? And I go, Shaggy would never ask Scooby to give him five because he knows he ain't got five. He's got four. So he Shaggy would say, give me four. And they're like, absolutely. We're leaving. That. I remember uh, Davis Doy says, yes, let's do that. That's great. And he and he, re, and he reaches up and he goes, "You're not getting any credit uh, writing credits in this, though." I was like, "Yeah, no problem." And coming in to voice these iconic characters, did you want to bring anything to them of your own, or did you just want to match what had already been done? Well, I pretty much just wanted to keep the characters the way they were. You know, you know, the step into the paws of Don Messick was pretty big. And I didn't want to go changing. I'm not there to change anything. And I'm just there to keep that memory alive. And if, you know, somebody wanted me to change it. The one thing I found that we did a lot, because Scooby took a surgence. There was a huge boom. Video games, talking toys, everything. And one thing that we did for the talking toys is we did create a little more audible Scooby-Doo. So when you hear, like, for example, here's one of the talking toys I voiced years ago with Jimmy. Okay, the re- if I'd done the real Scooby voice on this, you would have never understood this, but... So, we, we, I cheated it a little bit, you know what I mean? So, we got to the point where we were, we were doing uh, a little bit of a more audible Scooby. But, and the funny thing is, is when people, these, these people that come up with these video games and talking toys, they would always send me the scripts in Scooby. And I'm like, what, what is this? They're like, well, we wrote it the way I went. No, you write it the way you want it. I'll put it in Scooby, you know? So that was what was funny because you get people writing and they're writing for Scooby-Doo and they're writing in what I call Scooby-Doo. So (laughs) I'm like, what is this? I can't even know what you wrote. So you have to remind them, write the script. If Scooby-Doo runs to the end of the hallway, it doesn't need to be rah, 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 rah. Well, what do I say? You know. So Scooby-Doo runs to the end of the hallway. <laughs> you know. And it seems like you're, you know, pretty natural to dip into the characters now. But was there anything at the beginning that you had to do to get into character? Man, I've, I've been d- dipping into these characters since I was three. So, no, it just comes naturally, man. It just comes naturally. Um, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, like I said, since I was a kid, I was answering people in Scooby-Doo, um, you know, whatever. So, 
And are there any challenges in voicing the characters in a recording session? Like, especially when you're going back and forth between both? Well, you don't normally go back and forth. I mean, you, you, you know, you'll go down. A lot of times, uh, they would want me to, they would want to go through the entire script and read Shaggy and then come back and do all the Scoobies or whatever. And I was like, no, because I'm going to answer accordingly and how I feel at that moment may come out a little bit different. So if it's Shaggy, Shaggy, Scooby says, Shaggy, Scooby, let's just do it that way. Let's just go down because, you know, Shaggy jumps into Scooby's arms, panicking. Yikes! Scooby says, a monster. You know, I didn't want to have to come back and get that feel again. I, I, I'm, you know, so I would do it all. I would do it all as the script did. Because I'll be honest with you, those were long scripts, especially on video games. I mean, those are levels most kids will never even get to, but I had to go there, you know? So it would get ponderous doing some of the, the I I loved doing the, the characters. It is it is a job to do the video games. It really is. It's long. It's tedious. It's It, it would be the equivalent, and I think anybody that, that does video games and has done video games or and has done a movie as well, you could do you could do five movies with the same amount of audio that you're doing on a video game because you're having to give five different reads i mean you may have in a video game you may have a total of 2000 lines and you're going to read that line three times at least each one so 6000 times you know you're doing something like run the tire monster scoob all right, let's do it again. Run the tire. All right, let's do it a little more like, you know. <clears throat> and so I would have tea, coffee, water, lemon drops, everything sitting in there, you know, because you're just, it's just nonstop. I was doing a video game one time and I could tell my voice was going. And I literally got to the end of the, of the show. And I kid you not, after I said my last line and they went, that's a wrap. My voice just left. It was gone. I couldn't couldn't even say goodbye to uh, my buddy Jeff Blackwell. Had to go. Well, Scott no longer has a voice, so I was lucky on that, you know. But uh, it's a lot of work. And would you normally do sessions for video games like all in one sitting, or would they break it up? If they would break it, usually a video game was three days. We would do half a day on the first day. Full day on the second day, and then really whatever you had to get done, that you went from early morning and kept going. And so usually we'd be a full day the the third day as well. Okay. I'll never forget. We sat down one time. Uh, a, a company came in, and they did. They booked a Monday through Friday, and we knocked out three video games. Oh wow! And so we moved ahead. We did. Literally, like, uh, we work a day and a half on each video game. And I'm telling you, we'd start at 7 in the morning and go to 8 o'clock at night. And then it would be like, all right, let's eat dinner, go to bed, let's get up and do it again for the next one. You know, these are like CD-ROM games. That's when you start, with, when that's when it really becomes work, you know. And a little bit of the fun kind of goes out of it. But you got to do what you got to do, you know. And would the recording process differ at all, whether it was for like a CD-ROM game or like a GameCube, PlayStation type format? Well, it all depends on the director. It all depends on 
uh, the company. If you're doing a Nintendo 64, that was a little more entailed, you know what I'm saying, uh, than if you were doing a PlayStation 2 or you were doing a Wii game. Every game was different, and um, <clears throat> some games were less wordy, you know, more visual, and you'd get occasional zoinks or run scoob and they you know was was it taught was it uh, word heavy so yeah it all depend on which uh outfit you were dealing with you know but yeah they would send me scripts sometimes and you know you're in trouble when you're when the like jeff blackwell my director down here that was let was we were doing the his studio he'd go yeah they just uh they just sent the script over it's uh 454 pages long and each page is packed wow Okay. Oh man. Um, and how did you hear about the opportunity to voice Scrappy in the live action movie? Was that another audition that you heard about? Well, I'll tell you how that story went down. I'll try to keep this as short as I can. You know, the early bird gets the worm, and when I heard they were doing that Scooby, I wanted in. I, I was excited. I, I was like, I'm gonna do that. I want that role of Scooby Doo. So I found out they were filming on the Gold Coast. They were getting prepping. And Raja Gosnell was the director. Richard Suckle was the producer. Great guys. And uh, so I was on the air here. In the afternoons, I'd get into my studio at 3 o'clock. Well, it was like 9 in the morning in Australia the next day. So I would start these long calls, you know. And I would get the production's office. And finally... Raja Gosnell called me back, the director. May have been Richard Suckle. I don't know. Maybe it was Richard Suckle. I don't know. But one of them called me back and said, look, we're not to that point yet, but when we do, we are going to call you to come in and voice. I was like, wow, really? He goes, yep, absolutely. A few months go by, and um, I get this call from Warner Brothers, and they're like, Okay, because there was a pending strike at that time coming up. They thought there was going to be a voice strike. So they wanted to bring me in a month sooner so they could get the audio because they were doing all the animation. And they wanted my audio to go with the animation to figure out how to do it. So they loaded me up and flew me to Australia. And that's a long 17-hour flight, right? Never flown that long before. And I get over there and I'm voicing Scooby. And I was just the surprise, Scrappy-Doo. They wanted me to do Scrappy. So I laid it all down. We were there for two, two and a half days. I was in the studio watching all the animation and the CD and putting it to it. Well, I did it and I came back and then a couple of months went by. And all of a sudden I get a call and they're like, look, um, they're going to go with uh, Neil Fanning. He's, it went back between you and Neil and, the cast fell in love with Neil. He was just the guy that was on the set reading the lines and timing, right, for the actors. So he would be offset while they're doing it, and he would do it in a Scooby voice. They all kind of fell in love with him. Nice guy. And um, they, uh, Richard Suckle and uh, Raja Gosnell were like, you know, and we're going to put our spin on Scooby-Doo, you know? Well, I guess that leaked out, and the media started going, you know how cruel the media can be. They were be, I mean, everywhere. If Scott Innes is not in this movie, it's going to suck and blah, 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 blah. Well, now you've got, a, you've got a marketing nightmare on your hands, right? Because they didn't want that. So Warner Brothers and them out there and Rich and them got smart. 
And they called me back and said, you want to voice Scrappy? And I said, sure. So I went over to Houston, Texas, to voice my part as Scrappy on a soundstage over there. And uh, some of we did at Jeff Blackwell's studio here. And so now, legally, when they were asking press conferences, well, can you at least tell us if Scott's in the movie? Uh, yes, he is. So that immediately took all the rumors that I wasn't doing Scooby because, I mean, well, who else would I be doing? Because nobody knew Scrappy was going to be in the movie. So they thought I was Scooby. So it worked out. It was smart marketing. And um, so that's how I did. I got it. I got into, I did Scrappy. And, you know, that's basically how it all went down. And was Scrappy one of the characters that was kind of in your arsenal? Or was that a surprise for you too? Scrappy Dappy Doo. I'd already been doing Scrappy. I mean, you know, in some cartoons already for him. So puppy power, da 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 da, scrappy deppy doo, let me at him, Uncle Scoob, let me at him, I'll rock him, I'll suck him. And uh, so, yes, it was. And see, I, I love Scrappy, man. I think, I really think one, uh, Hanna-Barbera, really, because that's where it started, missed the boat on Scrappy Doo. I think he could have had his own, I mean, I know they have the Scrappy Doo, Scooby Doo hour, but Scrappy could have had his own deal. He was, he's a star. I, I just say, I'm thinking about doing some t-shirts, save Scrappy, you know, <laughs> let me at him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love Scrappy dude. And I'm glad to, to have got, what's funny though, is when we did the premieres of the movie and we did all that stuff, moms would come up to me like, like they were mad. They would walk up to me and go, you ruined the movie. You ruined the series in the 80s, and now you ruined the movie on this deal. And they go, come on, Tommy. And they're walking away, and I'm going, dude, it's just a movie. I just voiced it, you know? Why'd you have to put Scrappy in it, you know? I'm like, so it is what it is. And with your love of Scrappy, what were your thoughts on having him as the villain? Um, Well... Yeah, it it was kind of it made sense. I mean, you know, you if you're gonna have Scrappy in there, he's got to be Scrappy Deppy Doo. Oh, oh, are we live? Let me at him. Hey, Uncle Scoob. <laughs> I'll rock him. I'll suck him. You know, I actually did the voice of the only talking Scrappy Doo toy that is out there, somewhere in here, somewhere. But, um, yeah, uh. And that was actually my idea. I worked really well with a lot of the uh, the toy companies. And they would take liking to me. And I would tell them, you know what you need? You need a Scrappy-Doo talking toy, you know? And they're like, really? I'm like, who wouldn't have a ta- If you're going to have a talking Scooby and Shaggy, you got to have a talk. I mean, let me at them. You know? And so that's how that came about, Jimmy Toys. And when did that one come out? thereabouts oh that would have been around 2002 when the movie came out they put one out okay you've mentioned the toys a little bit but how did you start voicing them well you know when the movie came out they start bringing the in um with the products you know campbell soup was the first one for zombie island and then you know warner brothers they license that stuff out people come to them you know we want to do a talking plush we want to I still have the first talking plush I ever did. Let me see. This right here 
is the absolute first talking toy I ever did. I don't even know if the battery works on it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Look. I love Scooby Snacks. <laughs> Follow me, Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> so, yeah, as you can see, there it is. And we did this. This would have came out in ninth with Equity Toys, which would have. This would have been about 1998. So, yeah, 1998. But uh, yeah, so talking toys, you know, literally it went crazy. I've I've probably voiced. I don't know, probably six seven hundred products including video games talking toys everything commercials you know it was really cool i got to voice the uh, my agent calls me about two years ago and goes hey i uh, got a call today from walmart they want you to voice us uh for their their cars commercial where all their famous cars come in scooby opens up the back i said oh that'd be great he goes okay well i'll put you down that you want to do it and um so I said, well, that'll be, what's it going to air on? I I don't know. I mean, maybe it's an in-house deal in their video. I, I don't know. Turns out it's for the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in a Super Bowl ad. Turns out it ended up airing that year in the Super Bowl, the People's Choice Awards, and the Oscars. I'm like, I've, I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> and then I ran into, I did a signing earlier that year. Not this last January, the January before, the January before that. I was in New Orleans at a Comic-Con, and I ran into um, Jason Momoa, you know, Aquaman. And he's a huge Scooby-Doo fan. I mean, you can see stuff even on his sites. It's, he's doing rut row all the time. Is he? He comes over, finds me. We get, I get him to do a dueling Scooby, and it goes viral, Okay. So then I'm on a web commercial with Jason Momoa and all these entertainment websites are putting a video up, you know? So. And so you've been voicing commercials, toys, talking books, et cetera, from the nineties, like right up until the, right now, right? Like you did, did you do the Build-A-Bear? I did the Build-A-Bear. That's mine. I did Build-A-Bear. I'm still, he, yeah, I guess there's enough of it to go around. You know, Frank Walker, uh, love this guy. He's been kind of doing the movies, and and um, Matthew Lillard has been doing Shaggy. And I think where my place is right now is is I they bring me in when they need the classic sound, the total classic sound. And so I'm kind of the retro guy. I'm the rut row retro guy. So when they need the the character to sound just like you know, the deal, um, I'm brought in to do those voices. And so, and that's cool. I'll take that, you know, um, it's an honor to have that, you know, that, that, uh, that role, but I voiced all the, I voiced the talking toys for the new movie Scoob. Um, I did, um, the Build-A-Bear, all the Playmobil stuff that's out, the little TV career. I did all of those, um, all the spots that aired overseas, um, uh, with these banks or some, I forgot what bank it is over there and some McDonald's commercials. I did all the Scooby Shaggy. And can you also speak to the process of what it was like to record the soundtracks for the Witch's Ghost and Alien Invaders? That was cool. That was a whole different session we brought in and, and uh, I kind of put a lot of spin on that stuff myself, but 
that was fun. Bodie Chandler did those. And, uh, we came in and, uh, I'll never forget. I think the alien invader, no, Witch's ghost. We did that at a little studio in a guy's house right by the ocean in California. It was really cool, man. I forget where it was. And, uh, we would take a break in between each song and some people would go out and drink a coffee or smoke a cigarette or whatever. And I'm just out there sitting on the steps looking at the ocean and I'm again, I have to pinch myself. Cause I'm like going, right. How crazy is this, man? I'm, I'm sitting here in a doing Scooby-Doo and next to the ocean in California. And I'm just like, you know, it's just crazy, you know, crazy. So, but, but it's been a blessing. It's been a great, it's been a great ride. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm around a little longer and doing all this stuff. Uh, you know, my website, uh, gets a lot of hits and, you know, I sell a lot of my little products and stuff because I got a lot of it, you know? And so, you know, so I sell a lot of my stuff off of my site and people can buy my prints and whatnot. And, and I have like one of a kinds. I mean, I mean, where are you going to get, you know, I should be drinking out of this coffee cup, you know? But we uh, every week, every Saturday, I do a little uh, thing at ten o'clock on my site, and I'll sign a baseball to kick it off and put the characters on there, and and then I go to town, and it's 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 a fun thing. You mean everything from you never know what I'm going to put up that I I have, it'd be a Scooby Doo plate or uh, or whatever. I mean, but <clears throat> it's just it's it's been a great ride. You know, I love these characters to death. They're just super characters they've you know people ask me what's the one thing that you appreciate the most and it's really what a lot of people never get to see and it's whenever i'm sitting here and uh i'm getting on the phone and i'm calling a a a child with cancer a less fortunate child special needs child and they're having a birthday party or whatever and i'm bringing these characters to life over the phone you know they're just lit up with joy. That has made it worth everything to me. Okay. Everything. So with that being said, you know, um, that is the biggest joy. The one, if, if I had to sum it up, they said, no, you can only pick one thing. That would be the biggest high for me is doing this for children, you know, uh, stuff. Um, I mean, I do a lot of them. And, uh, I, I don't mind it at all. People go, does that bother you? And yet, no, 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 no. First of all, no, no, I'm honored to do this. That, And I have ran into a lot of Hollywood people, stars, even voiceover actors, and you're talking to them and they're like, yeah, man, I hate that crap. It drives me freaking nuts. And I'm like, wow, that's a shame. I could do it all day. I could just literally do it all day. Um, the good Lord has blessed me with the talent and I'm going to use it. And, um, never blink an eye, never blink an eye. And do you have people like coming up to you, like in a store or on the street or anything and recognizing you all the time? Tell you a funny story. I was in, um, I voiced all the rides at Kings Island and Six Flags and they're still out there, but Kings Island brought me into Cincinnati back in 2003. Or, no, four, two thousand four. They were they were putting a new Scooby Doo Black Ride in, and they wanted me to come help do the media and, and be there to answer questions and 
and all that. So I went up there, did it for two days. After the second day, uh, my family and I, we went to eat at a Ryan Steakhouse. Nothing fancy. Just went to get a buffet and blah, blah, blah. I walked in, didn't have any Scooby-Doo on, nothing. And this kid sitting at the table, he must have been seven, eight years old. He kept he kept eyeballing me. And I'd go up, he'd follow me, and then he'd reach over to his mom, and she'd turn around and look, and she'd tell him to stop it, you know. Finally, I got up, and I walked over, and I passed him, and I bent down, and I went, Roll boy, waggy. <laughs> he goes, I told you, Mom, that's Scott Innes, you know. And so this seven-year-old, so she says, he's been eyeballing you since you walked in here. She says, he swears he saw you at the end of the Scooby-Doo making of in one of his videos. And I said, well, he did. And so, yeah, he was. But, yeah, it's funny because I'll get people, you know, especially in Baton Rouge a lot because I do radio here and people know who I am. But it is nice to know. I'll tell you another one. I was at Universal Studios in uh, California. And the guy that's playing Shaggy in the, in, the, in the costume and Scooby, you know, they do a little, they'll drive down the road and pull over and, you know. So I'm standing at the very back. I mean, literally the very back, just watching the show, just like this. And I bet I'm 30 yards away from the stage. No, I'm not that close. In the middle of the show, the Shaggy guy goes, yeah, you, come on up here. And I went, okay. So I walk through and he goes, good. God, Scott in it. And I said, Yes. And he goes, I knew that was you, dude. He goes, You got to come up here with us. So I went up and did some Shaggy and Scooby for them. And they were like excited. And after the little, their little show was over, I said, How did you know that was me? He goes, I just got this part, this job. And they gave me three of your movies and you're at the end and you're the voice that I was mimicking. So I was watching the behind the scenes and I got you down to a T dude. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, but you, yeah, I, it, it's always great to get noticed, you know, somewhere. And what is it like to be able to, you know, see the look on kids faces or hear their reactions when they realize who you are? Well, it's priceless. But what's funnier is when you start doing the voice because kids kids don't know there's real people doing those characters. So the moms or I have to explain to them that we just do the voice. You know, one kid was like, but he don't look like Scooby-Doo Mama. Well, he is. He does Scooby's voice. Well, where's Scooby-Doo? You know what I mean? So <laughs> kids are fun, you know. You gotta You got to explain to them what's going on, you know. And what has been your favorite thing about being able to work on Scooby-Doo? Just the, the people's lives you touch, you know, the roads, the doors that it opens. Um, who wouldn't love that, you know, to be, look, I'm a small part of a big dog. And to have gotten to do what I've, what I've done through the years is just a, a dream, a dream come true for me. And, uh, how many kids get to actually say that they lived their childhood dream, you know? And I'm, I always tell everybody, I say, look, you know, I had so many people that were negative Nellies in my life telling me you're never going to amount to anything. You're blah, blah, blah. I always tell people, do not ever believe any of that. You can be anything that you want to be in your life. And I, I just tell people, set your goals high and go after them. There's no goal that's too high, man. 
I mean, Bill Clinton, you know, President Bill Clinton said that he wanted to be president from the time he was three years old. Well, I mean, you know, you have a three-year-old telling you you're going to be president, and you're like, <laughs> right. You know, but he, he was. And <clears throat> so I've had this goal all of my life to step into these paws and do voices and be Scooby-Doo. And not only did I do Scooby, but I did Shaggy, Scrappy-Doo, The Creeper, and I'm still doing it, you know, and it's it's been a, it's been a, it's been a blessing you know, to me and, uh, to get to draw and share the world with, with this stuff. I'm, I'm working on, um, another book, an updated book that'll probably be out next year, but I'm playing with the title right now. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but you know, my dream was always getting to Coanga Boulevard, the old Hanna-Barbera studios and meeting Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera. So I thought of calling it the road from Hannah to Barbera, the Scott Innes story, because I want to teach kids. I want to tell people that there's so many th things in life that you can achieve if you just go for it and you stay off of drugs, you stay off of all this, you know, boo, all, anything that to, to derail you, that's never going to let you help you reach your goals. You got to be clear minded and uh, warped is okay. We're all a little warped. So we all got to be a little warped, you know, to be funny, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I just, it's been a blessing, one heck of a ride and Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> and uh, obviously you were featured in the uh, Scooby Doo's Ultimate Fans uh, featurette on one of the DVDs. How did that come about for you to be part of it? Well, at one time, I was the world's largest collector of Scooby-Doo memorabilia. So at the time, the guy that was doing that, uh, I forget his name now, but he's from Atlanta. And he had been doing some of those behind the scenes and the movies. And he knew that I had a, so he wanted to come to my house. So he flew here and filmed all of my house. You know, it was crazy, man. I've It, it was everywhere. It was puking, you know, I mean, from the bedspreads down the shower curtains. It was, it was crazy. And, um... Then I turned him on to another person that was in Sykeston, Missouri, a couple that had the mystery machine and, and stuff like that and little things like that. And there they were another big collector of Scooby-Doo stuff. And so uh, I actually own that mystery machine now. I bought it from them. Uh, I forget her name. Um, but Brent and uh, I forget Brent's wife's name, but he did it because she she rescued dogs. And um, he he built her that mystery machine, and they fa they fashioned the mystery machine off of Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, Witch's Ghost, Alien Invaders, off that look, you know. So I bought it uh, when she passed away, and um, it still sits in my driveway. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a little showpiece. So yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So they asked me to do that, and I was I was happy to do it. You know. Um, but yeah, I still got, man, I got stuff in boxes. I can there's, I'm running, I'm out of room. My wife wants me to maybe someday when I retire, I'll open up a little Scooby museum and have all the stuff down where kids can come see. I still buy stuff. She gets mad at me. She'll go, another package came in the mail for you today. And I'm like, Oh, this is another little Scooby-Doo pin that I found or a talking pin. Or she's like, don't you have 12 of those already? Yeah, but I needed another one, you know? 
so what is it like as a collector to be able to have like one of a kind pieces from being able to work on some of the movies? Well, when I went out to do, well, when I went to Australia to do Scooby-Doo, the, the live action movie, I was leaving and I went through the props department and Richard Suckle, I said, Richard, you got to give me something to take back as a memento. He goes, all right. So he gave me this, the little tiki head that they made, that there's a scene where Shaggy is uh, talking to uh, the girl that he falls in love with on, in this movie. And they're behind him is the little crane thing. And it's a tiki head deal where they're sitting there talking and it was all made. Then we were leaving and he reaches over and he grabs this off his desk and he gives it to me. And I was like, what's this? And he goes, this is the official dog tag that we have approved for Scooby on his, on his uh, collar. Oh, wow. That is the mold they used for the CGI collar for Scooby-Doo. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, that's, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, you know, I've got a few people. I've got stuff that Bill Hannon and Joe Barbera signed for me, um, scripts, and, um, you know, I collected everything. I've saved everything that I've ever done. And, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been, it's been great, you know? I mean, everything down from like last week. I put up something I didn't want to part with, but I went ahead and did it and gave somebody else the joy was the whole press kit for Witch's Ghost. It had the script, press release. It had the movie signed by the whole entire cast, uh, including Mary Kay Birdman, which you know, she passed away. So you couldn't get that anymore. It was just they sent it out to just the media, and they only had so many that they sent out. I had one, and I sold that to my buddy Cameron down over in Texas, so now he owns that. And so, you know, there's, I'm just, I figure, you know what, it's sat here long enough. I'll give somebody else the joy of saying they own it, you know, Sh share a little bit of the Scooby wealth, you know. Definitely. And so you mentioned you've been collecting for a while, but when did you kind of start going in full force? Oh, I've, I've been doing that before I got the part. So I would, I'd have to say probably in the mid seventies when my grandmother bought me that first Scooby-Doo lunch pail box. I was hooked. I mean, I, I've got so much of this stuff. You can't, I mean, I go over to my storage or up in the attic and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know I had this. So now I'm bringing it back down, putting it in this room. And my wife's like, okay, you, you have no room. There, there's, there's no room. And since I started doing my little live Facebook deals where I sell some and sign some of my product, the whole backpack here's like a warehouse. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, oh, let's see. What are we going to put up? I just put up the baseball today. Oh, I'll send that out. And then I'm doing all my artwork, and it's lined up in here in stacks. It's just crazy. Crazy. And do you have a favorite piece that you would absolutely never sell off? Well, I do have something that uh, it's a, it's a, well, I mean, like stuff like this, I'm not going to sell off. These little pieces right here, history, I'm just not. I mean, they're not, they're, you know. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of little things back there that I, I, that I won't part with, but if you had to say you could only keep one piece, um, I had a, a ring that was custom made for me by my wife. Um, and, uh, it has little diamonds in it. She put in it and it's basically, it's the Scooby-Doo ring. It's the SD it was all made and done in some, you know, 
14 karat gold and diamonds put all on it. And so if they said, you can walk away right now, one piece on you, I would just throw that ring on and that would be it. I would be gone, you know? So, but yeah. So I even have a great Dane in the house, you know, Scooby-Doo, we have our own great Dane. So he's a, he's a hoot. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I think, uh, lastly here, why do you think that a cartoon about a mystery solving dog has lasted for over 50 years now? Well, the, the characters are, are endearing. They're, they're, you know, Scooby represents the coward in all of us. And everybody has that, that coward, that shyness about them. But we all have our breaking point. I think that's where a lot of people relate. You know, it's would you do it for a Scooby Snacks? No. <laughs> would you do it for two? Uh, uh. Would you do it for three? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so people can relate. And everybody likes a good mystery. Everybody likes a good scary movie and, and whatnot. And I just think that's why, you know, the characters, the voices were dead on. Everything came together for that TV show, The Elements. And it was marketed right, and it caught on, and it just kept going. And it's a feel-good, because the reason today we're still doing all the new movies, all the still product, but it's because people that are my age, 55, that grew up with the, the show, love that their kids are they're in, introducing it to their kids, because it's retro, and it feels good. And, and of course, I call it rut-row. It's, it's, it's retro-retro. And uh, so, yeah, that's why I think, and I think it's going to be around... When I'm dead and gone, it's still going to be, you know. And what's really cool is to know that at some point in that, if someone's really interested in knowing the whole story, your name is going to be brought up in this deal. And that's uh, that's pretty cool. So, so uh, but listen, I welcome everybody to come to onescottshop.com, O-N-E, scottshop.com. I've got all my stuff on there. Uh, just did this piece the other day, um, you know, uh, so I got things like that. We've got talking toys. We've got prints that are up there. Um, I got it all up there and I keep adding to it. It's got a lot of one of a kinds that you can't get anymore. I just threw it up there. Got one of them up there. So I encourage everybody to visit me. I love to answer questions and send me emails onescottshop.com see all of my stuff and um thank you for having me on here man this has been really cool and i'm going to give you a little a little uh rolodex here of some of the characters i've done throughout the years oh perfect heavens to murgatroy this is snagglepuss what's going on stage exit left well howdy this here is quick draw mcgraw the fastest gun in the west and this is wally gator you know i love my ever-loving everglades i like to get clean instead of dirty ain't that right yogi hey uh, this is yogi bear and I live in Jellystone, and I'm Boo Boo, and I'm small, and uh, right, Captain Caveman? What are you talking about? Ooga, ooga. Captain Caveman! Ooga, 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 ooga! Uh, oh. <laughs> shepherd wrecker, shepherd wrecker. <laughs> and then, of course, you got uh, Astro. That's right, Rorge. Raw boy! Now, stop that, Astro. You're slobbering all over me. 
Hi, this is Elroy, Elroy Jetson. I'm only Jetson. I'm only six years old. And I'll always be six years old. Ain't that right, uh, uh, Popeye? Well, blow me down. Uh, Skiddle-a-dunk. Will you let's get that? Yabba-dabba-doo. This is Fred Flintstone, Mr. Bonnie Rubble. All right, Fred. <laughs> Tonight, we'll go get Betty and Bam Bam and we'll go bowling. <laughs> and this is Professor Pat Pending, the converter car on the wacky races. <laughs> Why can I tell you, man, there's a whole lot more, but we're running out of time. Yeah, gotta go, puppy power. Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> oh, perfect. And just before we end here, is there anything else that you want to promote or any more social media where people can follow what you're up to? Well, pretty much. I mean, I, you know, uh, Facebook, they can go to the Scott Ennis radio show and hit like, follow that. We put a lot of our stuff that we're doing up there, but I produce concerts and things like that. So I'm always doing a lot of stuff, but Scott Ennis radio show on Facebook. You can send me a request to just my regular Scott Ennis Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, follow us on, uh, you know, basically the one Scott shop, go there and get some stuff. Cause, uh, just so people know a lot of the stuff that the money that we make, we take a good part of it and put it back in the community and children's needs. So that's why I really push it because I love to help children, especially at Christmas time, we'll go and buy a hundred kids Christmas gifts with that money. So it, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, that's why we do what we do. We do what we do. D-O-O. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Scott. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to Scott Innes for taking the time to chat with me. For more Scooby content, be sure to check out Unmasked SD on Twitter, at Unmasked SD Podcast on Instagram, or at UnmaskedSDPodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo podcast. And of course, you can find Scott on Facebook or at onescottshop.com. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. Thanks for listening and keep an ear out for the next episode. Scooby-Doo-Be-Doo!